please stand with us?
Father, we again just praise you for the way even now this evening we've seen the Christmas story portrayed. We've sung some of the great truth of the Christmas story and for that heart to be moved that even though we know this story well that we would be amazed afresh by what a great thing you've done for us in sending Jesus to us. In Jesus' name, Amen. If there's like one thing I really dislike, and there's a lot of things, but one thing I really dislike is like being scared. Like, not so much like having a sense of fear in me, but like when somebody like jumps out from behind a door and says "boo," right? you get that sudden fight or flight reflex. Like I, I hate that feeling. Right? Like it blows my mind that. People enjoy horror movies and they enjoy going to haunted houses to like get that feeling because I just I hate it and like it's what I don't understand and like one of the reasons I hate it so much is that like my automatic kind of reactions tend to be fairly exaggerated right and so like when someone jumps out from behind like a door and tries to scare me I try to like freak out a little bit right? I, get, I get a little over the top of them that just makes them make fun of me all the more because I'm freaked out funny, right? And so, like, one of the important life lessons I learned teaching fifth grade is that you should not tell a group of 10 and 11-year-olds that you don't like being scared. Because it turns out, like, kids that age are not all that sympathetic. And instead of, like, feeling bad for you and being, like, extra careful not to scare you, like, they'll take every chance they get for a whole school year to hide behind corners and jump out and scare you. Cause like, and so, I, I, I just hate that feeling of sudden shock and fear. All I have to say, I have a lot of empathy for the shepherd and what they experienced the night of the first Christmas. And so when we watched kind of a, a visual portrayal of it, but in Luke 2 we read, and there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flock at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. So there's these shepherds out keeping watch over their flocks and sheep at night. And so like we saw in the video, like they may have had a small fire going, maybe a few small torches. Right? But beyond that, like everywhere they look in every direction is more or less darkness. It's the kind of setting that would like, just set your nerves on edge a little bit. And then, like, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, an angel of the Lord shows up surrounded by this magnificent light. It must have been a truly startling, shocking, terrifying experience to go from pitch darkness one minute to unspeakable light the next. And because of this, Luke tells us the shepherds were terrified. And almost every time an angel shows up in the Bible, the first reaction that people have who see it are is fear or terror. Even in the book of Luke, right? This is the third time already an angel makes an appearance, and every time one of the angels' first words are, "Do not be afraid," because the natural reaction is fear. But once the shepherds get over their initial shock and terror of that moment when the angel shows up, 
If they're going to come recipients of one of the most glorious messages the world has ever heard. And so in the next two verses, Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, we read, do not, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. The angel said to the shepherds, like, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy. And in that phrase, I bring you good news, right, it's all really one Greek word, which is euangelizomai, which is like where we get our word evangelism from. Right? Evangelism is the act of bringing good news. Right? And the one who brings it is an evangelical or an evan- evangelist. Right? And so when we say like we are Three Lakes Evangelical Free Church, or what that word ought to mean above all else, is that we are people who bring good news of great joy to the people around us. And our model, our first model, what that looks like, is the angel that appeared to the shepherds on that first Christmas. And so this evening, in our time here, like, I just want to remember with you what that message is that brings, that is good news, that causes great joy. So there's nothing new necessarily to be said here. Like the Christmas story has been told for 2,000 years. If I was up here spewing any new insights, you could be confident that I'm wrong. I have nothing new to offer in terms of what the Christmas story is or says. But often, like what we need right, is not new information, but a chance to remember what we already know. And so that's my hope for the rest of our time tonight. That's like what Christmas should be about. It's a chance to remember what we already know. To remember what God did for us in sending Jesus as a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And so what is this message that the angel brings? What is this message that is good news that brings great joy? And the angel summarizes it in just one verse. In verse 11, he says, Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this single verse is one of the more like, packed verses in the whole New Testament in terms of what it tells us about who Jesus is. Because this verse brings together three titles for Jesus. The first tells us that He is the Savior, He is Messiah, and He is Lord. And you may be familiar with all those titles for Jesus, but this is the only place in the whole, all the Gospels, where all three of those titles come together in one place. So the message of good news that the angel brought on that first Christmas, that the baby lying in a feeding trough in Bethlehem is Savior, Messiah, and Lord. He is the is first Savior. And for those shepherds who heard that first announcement, this declaration that the baby was a Savior must have been a little confusing. Like, what kind of Savior was the baby going to be? Like, what was he coming to save us from? Right. We heard the one shepherd ask, right, would the Messiah be come to save us, to free us from 
Roman oppression. That would have been the likely answer. Like, what kind of savior would this baby be? He would be one who saves from a foreign ruler, who saves from Roman oppression. But what the rest of Jesus' life shows is that that idea of savior is too small. He came to do far more than to save a nation from foreign oppression. Israel had had saviors like that in the past. The whole book of Judges in the Old Testament is really all about that kind of savior. But one of the sad lessons of the book of Judges is that no matter how many times God saves Israel from foreign rulers, they always eventually end up back where they started, back in the same place. After God saves them, they always eventually turn away from God and turn back to their sin, and this cycle repeats itself. And so the lesson of the book of Judges is that a greater kind of Savior is needed. Not some temporary, earthly Savior, but an eternal Savior. Like in the glorious truth of that angel's announcement is that Jesus, the baby lying in a manger, is that Savior. That Jesus comes not to provide temporary salvation, but to provide a salvation that will never end. He came to save us, not from bondage to a foreign nation. He came to save us from bondage to our ultimate enemy, which are sin and death. But the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger, came to be the Savior of the world. And he could be the Savior of the world because he was the Messiah. And that word Messiah is, basically means he is anointed. It's so a baby lying in the manger was anointed by God. Throughout the Bible we see different people at different times anointed, usually with oil, for some specific task. So for example, Samuel anoints David that he will be the next king of Israel, even though Saul is still king. But just like the book of Judges only pointed forward to a like ultimate savior, like all those people who were anointed in the Old Testament, like only looked forward to a day when the anointed one would come. And the Old Testament writers understood that one day there would be a the anointed one that would come. For example, Daniel says, Know and understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. So the people of Israel were eagerly awaiting the day when God would send the anointed one. And the angel tells those shepherds that that anointed one is here. The one anointed by God for the task of saving his people had come. And he was lying in a feeding trough. There's just like one small problem. In order to be the anointed one who can save mankind from the bondage, from their bondage to sin, the baby lying in the manger would need to live a sinless life himself. But since Adam and Eve first sinned, 
every person ever born has been born into sin. Has been born with a, a sin nature that makes them unable to live a sinless life. So how could this baby lying in the manger do it? And the angel tells the shepherds that he could do it because not only was he Savior, not only was he Messiah, but because he was God, or he is the Lord. And not to be clear, just because the angel said that the baby lying in the feeding trough is Lord, they can't use just that one verse to prove that Jesus is God. The word Lord is used a number of different ways throughout the Bible, and it doesn't always refer to God. But it's also true that the Bible often does use that word Lord to refer to God. And based on what we know from the rest of the book of Luke and the rest of the New Testament, we know that this Jesus is indeed God. And because he is God, he is able to be Savior. He is both fully God and fully man. God loved us so much that he sent his Son the Lord Jesus, to take on human flesh, to be our Savior and Messiah. And that's the message of good news that brings great joy that the angel proclaimed to the shepherd on that first Christmas. And in response to that message, the shepherd did two things. First, in verse 16, Luke tells us, so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And the first thing the shepherd did was they went to Jesus. They put aside any other responsibilities. They put aside any other worries. And they went to be in the presence of this Jesus. And after they had been in his presence, Luke tells us that in verse 17, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. So after they had been in the presence of Jesus, the shepherds went out into the world spreading the message of good news that they had heard and witnessed. So after the angel, like these shepherds were the first evangelists. Right? They were the first to go out and spread good news that bring great joy. And I would, I would submit that our response this Christmas and every Christmas should be the same as the shepherd's response all those years ago. That as we celebrate Christmas, first we spend time in the presence of Jesus. We lay aside other responsibilities, we lay aside other distractions, and we come into the presence of Jesus, remembering what he did and why his coming to earth is so important. So we spend time in, word, in the Word we spend time in prayer. We spend time worshiping Him. We remember how God came to us. Remember right, how the good news, remember that good news, the great joy that His coming brings. And so we, we gather here. And then tomorrow as we celebrate, like we come into the presence of Jesus as we celebrate Christmas. And then having spent that time in the presence of Jesus, we go out into the world. We go to our neighbors and to our workplaces. We go to our friends. And we share this message of good news that brings great joy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this message. 
of good news. Thank you, Jesus, that you came. But the goodness doesn't stop with your coming. You also lived a sinless life. And even though you've done nothing to deserve death, you were crucified and killed on a cross. Also, by believing in you, trusting in you, putting our faith in you, God, you treat us as if we live the sinless life Jesus lived, and we treat Jesus on the cross like he lived the sinful life we lived. And we celebrate how that began with you coming to earth as a baby lying in a manger. In Jesus' name, amen. As we said, Christmas is an opportunity to remember that message the angel gave to the shepherd on that first Christmas. The message that the God of the universe came to save us from our sins and to bring light to a fallen and broken world. And the visible reminder of that truth, right? I invite you now to stand and to turn on your candle we prepare to close our service. The Gospel of John begins with these words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and lived for a while among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. As we end our service by lighting candles, we remember that Christ came not to be a baby, but to be the light of the world. He came to end the long night of sin and to usher in a new era where undeserving sinners can be forgiven by God's redeeming grace.
as we, we leave, would you go remembering that that baby lying in the manger, He is Savior, He is Messiah, He is Lord, and He is the light of the world. You are dismissed. Merry Christmas.